Well, welcome. I'm, there's lots of spaces over here. It just has to do the awkward walk. We'll all avert our eyes as you come in. Um, I, uh, oh, bad speaker. I didn't set this up first. Hold on. I'm always really, it's okay. I'm always really nervous about this. The first time I ever spoke anywhere, I um, had one of these things and I, I was trying to pull it up and I was trying to be real casual about it and I thought I'd just pull it really hard. And so my first moments of ever public speaking went, and I, it came off and slapped me in the face and I got a nosebleed. So I'm always very like, it's awkward, but I, I feel like, team, see? No, see, that almost killed me. It's okay. We're all right, it's fine. I'm oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Subtle transition, subtle transition. Um, yes, she's going to stay there the whole time. Yes, I think we're good. Okay. So... <laughs> That's right. If I keep doing this, I'm not bowing to you. I'm just reading my notes. It'll be fine. Am I uh, end up stiff? No, yeah, teamwork. It'll be fine. <sighs> okay, good. Don't touch it. Right. Sorry. I'm a very serious person. Uh, right. Uh, thank you for coming to this. Uh, this is a subject that is really close to my heart, um, primarily because uh, it's so important, and yet we all sort of feel helpless about it. And so uh, I did what most people do when you feel like you know nothing about a subject. I decided to sign a book contract that says, in a year and a half, I'll know what I'm talking about. And so I uh, wrote a book uh, about this. It's, it's here. Um, I'm only showing this to you so that you don't have to worry about taking notes. If you want to know what I'm about to say, just go get this. Um, it'll just be more entertaining. Uh, and uh, I really wanted to face it because I feel like, like what we are trying to do with our kids and our young people, um, we feel like it's not working. And we feel like if we can't get this right, then something serious could go wrong. And I think it's in all of our hearts to have the children and their young people, our colleagues and friends, to walk in confidence. Because for me, if, our, if the people we love don't have confidence, then they can't step into all that God has for them. And it becomes this barrier, this gate between them and their future. And if we can learn to open this gate for the people we love, we can, we can help them step into all that God has. I'm going to try to keep moving around because I realize some of you, I can barely see the tops of your head. And I apologize. So you just wave every once in a while and I'll like do a shout out to you or something. Or I'll do this. Um, <laughs> or not. Uh, when I started to look at uh, confidence, uh, when I started to look at confidence, I was really... Um, interested in what scripture would say because I'm a good Christian uh, and I always pictured people in scripture being confident so in your view who is the most confident person in scripture not saying Jesus yeah oh yeah I know right so who in your head in your mind you don't have to say it out loud I understand but just think in your mind what is the who is the most confident person in scripture Right now, if you're talking to other people, feel free to turn to the next person next to you and tell you, but you don't have to. I hate that. It makes me angry. But if you like talking to people next to you, feel free. Tell them who's the most confident person. Oh, so, so, yeah. People who won't talk to me, they talk to each other quite a lot. Right. So... 
for me, scripture is full of people who walk in slow motion. Because in my head, when you're confident and you walk in slow motion, so I always pictured like, you know, Moses with, you know, a hair and the wind and his face glowing and he's walking down in confidence or, you know, Esther, because we always see them in slow motion with strings behind them. She's walking there. And, you know, this sort of like confident people just flounce around with their glow and I thought this is it you know I need to look and see how these people became confident you know Jeremiah like stands in front of kings and goes you're wrong and Mary's like you may think that I had premarital sex but I didn't and I stand before you confident and all of these people just glowed confidence and I wanted to be like them And the world has a formula for how you make someone confident. And so this formula goes, you tell people, you are amazing, you are perfect just the way you are, be proud of who you are, don't change for anyone, you know, know who you are, find out the core of you, and then you just walk confidently, not letting anybody else sort of deter you from your path. And Christians sort of came along, we pick up that message, we just make it more Christian-y. So we go for the... God has made you perfect and precious, like a precious gem you are in his eyes. Uh, We talk about how you have your unique skills and giftings, and you have your unique thing, and you just be you, and you sort of stand up. The world says you're supposed to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am awesome. I can do this. I am awesome. And the Christian world says you look in the mirror and you say, God has made me awesome. You know, we Christianize it. And yet, no matter how much of us try to do that, we still struggle with confidence. And no matter how many times we tell our 10-year-olds that, they're still hesitant to go to school. And somehow our formulas aren't working. And I think that that is... Oh, thank you. I think that's because that's not what I see in Scripture. I cannot imagine Moses waking up in the morning in front of his polished bronze going, Moses... You are skilled and gifted for this purpose. I believe in you. Moses, you are perfect just the way you are, and you need to know you are awesome, Moses. I am awesome. I'm pretty sure he didn't do that. I'm pretty sure Mary didn't get given this gift of Jesus and her to go, you know what? I am perfect just the way I am. Thank you, angel. And uh, I'm going to embrace this call because I deserve this. I am awesome. Thank you. That is not the pattern of scripture, if you look over and over and over at how people called, uh, how God called people, they, their core of confidence wasn't in themselves. It wasn't them reinforcing to themselves that they are amazing. Their core of care- confidence was different. Um, I did a word study uh, in scripture because uh, I was scared and I had a book to write. And... Uh, Do you know, not once in scripture does it talk about confidence in yourself. Not once. All of the scripture that happens uh, about confidence is along these lines. Psalm 71.5, for you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. What if our confidence isn't about us at all? Confidence in my head is freedom. It's freedom from self-consciousness. It's freedom from fear. It's knowing that you're totally loved by God, doing what you're asked to do, where you're supposed to do it, enjoying loving him and community without your eyes on yourself. What if confidence isn't about us at all? And so when I began to look at this, 
I began to look at what does this look like for children? Because usually it gets really pointy when we talk about it with children. We're like, meh, sure, fluff, fluff, fluff. But when you have to look at a six-year-old in the face or a 15-year-old in the face and tell them exactly what this means, it gets scary. And so what I want to talk to you today is how I explain it to kids and give you some skills on how to parent and disciple around this. Because what we want is not for our kids to wake up in the morning and go, I don't want to go to school today because I'm afraid no one's going like to like me. We want them to wake up and go, I can't wait to go to school today because I can't, see what I'm, I can't wait to see what I'm going to do with God. And if we lift their eyes from themselves in a way that they begin to see themselves with the right heart, they're going to walk with confidence. There are three statements that, because um, I can only remember three things, uh, three statements that I find if we can get into our heads and we can get into our kids' heads, it completely shifts their core of confidence. And I'm going to teach you those three today. Uh, the first statement is not, I am awesome and wonderful and I believe I'm perfect. Um, the first statement is, God is awesome and holy and he loves me totally. It rhymes. It didn't mean to rhyme. I'm very sorry for that. Uh, God is awesome and holy, and he loves me totally. Exodus 3. This is like my, my key confidence story, uh, is when Moses was called. So Moses, hanging out, uh, doing his thing. Uh, he, uh, Moses was an Israelite. He was raised in Egypt to be a prince. Uh, had a good heart for justice bad implementation of justice, killed someone, was like, hey, you're doing bad things. I know, I'll kill you on purpose. And God was like, I'm not sure that's really the working out of your call. Let's take you uh, someplace else and disciple you. So he took him into the desert and, uh, and worked on him for 40 years. And he gets to this point where he's ready to use Moses. And so God shows up. Exodus 3, we're going to do Exodus 3 and 4. You don't have to read along if you don't want to, but you can if you're a reader. And so the Lord sets on fire a burning bush, and uh, Moses hanging out goes, hey, there's a fire, and it's not burning up. I got nothing else to do. I think I'll wander over and have it. Check it out. So he goes over, and God tells him, I have, in verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he talks about names. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God himself, in a fire, tells Moses, you, I am sending you to do this with me. I am going to do this. I'm sending you to uh, go do this. And what does Moses do? Moses instantly looks at himself instantly drops his eyes from the God of the universe who's glowing in the holy fire. Uh, he get, looks at me and instantly judges God. Uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He looks at a supernatural God and says, you've picked the wrong person. <laughs> Obviously. He looked at himself first. And whenever I teach this to kids, I always say, what do you think God said next. Because what do we say to people when they go, I can't do that. Oh, I'm not good enough to do that. What do we say to people? 
Believe in yourself. You can do it. You have all the skills and giftings you need. And so in, in our heads, we think that God goes, Moses, I have placed you in the courts of the Egyptians for ages. Um, I have prepared you for this step by step. I've taught you how to lead a shepherd. You know, you can do this. I've chosen you for a reason. We expect God to affirm Moses because that's what we do. What did God actually say? I will be with you. He didn't say, you are perfect and wonderful for this task. He said, look at me, look at me. I'm here, I'm sending you. It's about me, it's not about you. The more we try to get our kids and teenagers' eyes to look at themselves, the more they're going to look at themselves and realize that they're not perfect and strong and everything because none of us are. They're going to look at themselves and see all of their weaknesses because we're all weak people. That's okay. God gives us confidence when we look at him. And he goes, don't look at you. Look at me. And we're going to do something awesome together. So uh, after that, you would think that Moses was like, uh, oh, all right, God. So God's like, okay, look at me. We're going to do all of these amazing things for like a whole chapter, skipping forward to Exodus 4.13, after God goes on and on and on and shows him miracles and does all sorts of stuff. He does miracles. He makes snakes. He does all sorts of things. Verse 13, chapter 4, Moses, after having heard God's plans, seen God's miracles, says, Oh, Lord, I am slow of speech. This is verse 10. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He goes, okay, God, you're going to do all that. Fantastic. But I can't talk very well. And he instantly goes back. Like, I feel like God's like, okay, we just talked about this. Uh, He goes right back to, okay, but my skills and giftings do not match with the thing that you've asked me to do. The amount of people who are dyslexic who've told me that they could never write a book and they feel like God's telling them to write a book but they never could because they have dyslexia. It's not about you! He looks at himself and says my skills and giftings don't match and God says who gave man his mouth? Who made him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight and blind? God's like I made your mouth. There is nothing that's wrong with you that I cannot make up for and what does Moses say? Oh God thank you so much for everything Moses says, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. One of the men who I feel has the most confidence in God in Scripture argued with him the most. And I don't know if you recognize you in this argument, but I have had many arguments with God about this. Uh, in the same way, I can't do it. I, I would never be able to stay focused for that long. I can't, I can't write a book. I insisted to God that I could never write a book. I've written four um, that what I love about this is God didn't choose Moses for his skills and giftings. He chose Moses because he's a gracious and loving God who saw Moses' weaknesses and said, I want to do something with you. One of the cores of confidence is to communicate this to our kids, that God is awesome and holy, and he loves us totally. And so when he asks us to do things, when we go into school, it isn't about us. It's about God. It's about God in this place and what he can do with us. That's the first statement. There was a a boy. Oh, yes, sorry. Exodus 3, 14. The other thing that I want to highlight in this is um, 
is this is when God says who he is. He says, I am that I am. And we always focus on the big I am that I am. But what I love about it is what he says next. He says, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. God instantly said, you know who I am? I'm the God of relationship. I'm the God who has loved your forefathers and will love you and walk forward with you. It's not about us, it's about God and his love for us. So the first statement is, God is awesome and holy and he loves me totally. I'm going to say it repeatedly because I want it in your brain. You're just lucky I'm not making you say it out loud like I do with kids. Um, There was this boy. uh, He was 11 years old. He had a stutter, very bad stutter. And uh, he came up to me and wanted a prayer ministry because he he wanted the stutter to go away. And, And so we were like, yeah, should we pray for him? And so we connected him with God. We just said, you know, God, come meet with him. And uh, he sat there, and and he was just in God's presence for about five minutes, totally silent, started crying. Then he put his hand on his chest. And uh, we were just watching him be connected, and we were thinking, oh, God, what are you doing? You know, in our heads going, open his mouth, God, but we're just being very quiet. And, um, And after about 10 minutes, we sort of were like, hey, what's God doing? And uh, he said, with his stutter, he said, um, God has his hand on my chest right here. And he said, my dad left when I was a kid. Uh, When I was a kid, it was great because he was still a kid. But uh, my dad left uh, when I was a kid, when I was very tiny. And so I don't know what a dad's hand feels like. It's right there. It's right on my chest. God's dad hand is on my chest. And I'm like, yeah, it is, man. I mean, I can't see it, but do you feel it? And he's like, it's on my chest. And uh, his stutter didn't go. And I said, how do you feel about your mouth? And he said, I don't care what happens to my mouth. My dad's hand is on me. And I thought, yeah. He walked out and he asked if he could preach. And uh, so we put him up on stage the next day. And he got up with his stutter and shared what God was telling him. And it didn't mean God took away the thing that made him feel insecure, but God connected with him in a way that made him confident. Because he was willing to not make his stutter the block. He just did what God asked him to do because he was loved and he didn't need to be perfect. So God is awesome and holy and he loves me totally. See how far behind I am. I'm 15 minutes behind. It's fine. Uh, The second thing is um, the second statement is he is daily shaping me to be like him and I'm not finished yet. We live in a world of perfect, where perfect is the thing we all want to be. And it's the thing that we tell our kids all the time. You are perfect just the way you are. And so perfect becomes the thing that everyone wants to be. We want to look perfect. We want to be perfect. We want to perform perfectly. Uh, We want to do perfect. And we use that word so much. If I can encourage you to stop saying a word, it would be the word perfect. Uh, Because it becomes this ideal that everyone wants to be perfect. Partially because that's the end goal. One day I want to be perfect. I want to look perfect. I want people to look at me and think, wow, he is perfect. And, And that actually isn't the reality of life. We are all on a journey. I love what God says in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18 about shaping us. 3, 17. Oh, these are really tiny papers.
Now, where the, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So he's talking about freedom, and what does he instantly talk about next in freedom? In perfection. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we're imperfect, and daily he's shaping us to be more like him. If we can get begin to own the fact that our kids aren't perfect yet, I'm not perfect yet. I will not be perfect until I stand before the throne in heaven. And so therefore, I'm not perfect and I'm not finished yet. If not being finished yet becomes what we all own, I think we're all going to be a lot more confident in the stage that we're in now. I usually explain it to teenagers and kids like this. Um, Have you ever seen Bake Off? Okay, so you know, they always go like, Uh, John is making a a saffron-infused cake covering with, you know, passion fruit coulis and something-something ganache. And then then somebody... And then it's amazing. I'm very addicted to Bake Off. Uh, Evidently, I haven't picked up the lingo, but I I know the voice. Uh, And so, you know, they draw a picture of it, right? And and then then they're like, this is what it's going to look like. Uh, And then we get to watch the agony of them actually attempting to make that thing, right? Can you imagine if Bacon, and that's the joy, the joy is watching the process, right? And the, and the trying and the thing and the not working and then that person, that lady took the ice cream out of the thing and she totally did and then he didn't even say it and I have some issues um, about that because that was an injustice. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm very passionate about these things. Uh, but they look, this is the cake. This is the finished cake. How boring would Bake Off be if they were like, John's going to make a saffron, blah, 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 and here it is. <laughs> He'd be like, okay. <laughs> That's not the joy. The joy is in the journey. We never walk in to someone making a wedding cake and be like, that is, and while well, they're mixing up the ingredients, and be like, that is the lamest cake I've ever seen. Like, you're a terrible cake maker. We know that it's in the process. That's okay. We want to taste the ingredients. We want to see how it goes. But neither do we walk in to someone making the cake and go, that is perfect just the way it is. Stop. Stop right now. It is perfect right there. We love the journey of cake making because we know it's going to be something one day and we see little bits of it. We taste the flavors and we go, oh, that's going to, that is good right now. I can't wait to see how it's combined. That's what we are with our children and our young people. We're saying, oh, I love seeing this bit of your kindness. This bit of your kindness is amazing. Yes, you then punched your sibling, but I saw this (laughs) glimmer. I saw this glimmer of the kindness that is in you and it makes me so excited to see you. When we when we don't expect perfection, but we praise progress, then we can all be on the journey. Does that make sense? So, the uh, first one is God is perfect, God is awesome and holy, and he loves me totally. The second one is he is daily shaping me to be like him, and I'm not finished yet. I say this all the time to kids, so my, my kid will mess up um, as I mess up. And our phrase in our family is, 
I'm so sorry I messed up. I'm not finished yet. I'm still growing. And my kid's like, I know you're still growing. It's okay. I forgive you. I'm like, thanks. And therefore, I don't carry any shame when I mess up because I'm not finished yet. I'm going to get better at this. And we praise each other on, well, you know what? Two weeks ago, that would have made you upset. And this time, it didn't. Oh, look at you being shaped into God. And we sort of just praise the progress. Because I don't expect not being finished yet. I expect us to be daily being shaped like God. And therefore, when I speak someplace, and I encourage other people to speak someplace, because that's often where people's fear is, I can tell them, you don't have to be perfect. No one's expecting you to be perfect. I'm just asking you to bring the imperfect you and partner with God and do what he's asking you to do today to the best of your ability right now. And that's going to be great. Because out of all the people he could have chosen, he chose you to do this right now. You don't have to be better than everyone else. You just have to be the you that God asked you to be. And it frees us from that. So the last one. Oh, I wish I had five hours with you. Um, the last one is, I am invited to be a small part of his wonderful plans. We don't have to be perfect to be useful. And I think so much of our children and young people want to be useful for God. And they think the only way to be useful is to be perfect, whether it's to be useful to somebody as a partner, um, whether it's our girls feeling like they have to be beautiful in order to be chosen. They want to be useful and perfect is the only way to be useful to someone, whether it's in relationship, whether it's in ministry. And when we can say in your imperfectness, God has great and wonderful plans that he wants to do with you. We begin to let them be powerful in their imperfectness. That doesn't mean they're not growing. just means we don't have to wait till the end until we are grown. So often, people are used in their weakness. You look at Moses. Moses was used with massive weaknesses. Gideon was used with massive weaknesses. Um, first, 2 Corinthians 4.7 talks about we holding these treasures these treasures in, tr- in jars of clay because we're just broken. The, the pattern of scripture is broken and imperfect people being powerfully used by God. That's it. So why do our kids have this view of perfectness? We can switch the language. We can switch the stories. Start telling stories of people who are imperfect and yet being used by God. Start telling the stories of people who are new to faith and are being powerful in your life. Tell tell them how powerful they are in other people's lives, knowing that they're not perfect. Say, I tried this thing, and I don't think I did it brilliantly. But you know what? Even though I didn't do it brilliantly, God moved, and it was really cool. Talk about the power of God using imperfect people. I love that. I ended up switching all my Sunday curriculum at some point to just epic fails of scripture. And uh, it was just like, how many times Abraham messed up? How many times Moses messed up? And we just sort of learned from the mistakes of scripture. And then we just started telling stories. So we began to come in and telling failure stories became part of our culture. Uh, Totally messed up this week. Did that. That was not good. I had to clean up my mess massively. But you know what God taught me? God taught me this about myself. And I'm, you know what? I'm not going to be afraid next time. And all of a sudden having conversations about things we did great and things that didn't go so well became part of conversation and if we can make that part of our family conversation that would be amazing how many times do the children and young people in your life hear your stories of how you messed up this week and what God taught you through that and how he moved anyways 
whether it's at work, whether it's in your your home life, whether it's you snapped at a friend and then that person was gracious and then you felt really guilty for like two days because you're like, they're so much holier than I am. And then I was like, wait a minute, we're all imperfect and I'm just grateful that I can apologize. And whatever it is, do that. So. Ah, I'm half hour. Okay. God is awesome and holy and he loves me totally. He's daily shaping me to be more like him and I'm not finished yet. And I am invited to be a small part of his wonderful plans on earth. Kids do get, uh, kids and young people sometimes get stuck on their skills and giftings. Um, And skills and giftings are wonderful things that God is calling us to use, but they're not the box we live in. And I think that's really, really useful to remember. Um, Because sometimes we, we can't live in the tension. So they go, I'm a singer. I like singing, therefore I have to be a worship leader. And actually, just because you have a good voice doesn't mean you have a worshipful heart and uh, are perfectly positioned to lead worship. Uh, But sometimes people look at themselves and think, this must be the only box I'm supposed to live in. And we see in Scripture that's not true. God picked someone who couldn't speak very well to be the voice of a nation. He picked Gideon, who wasn't very brave, to be the, the leader. So it's not the box we live in. It's just a tool we have. It's sort of like a day bag. I don't know if you remember being a child, but your mother packed these bags for you. And, and if you're a parent, then you know this. You're like, right, I have to go to swimming lessons, to, to um, uh, shopping. I have to go to the birthday party, and I have to do the thing. So you pack the bag. That has everything you need, plus 14 snacks, plus if the car breaks down, I'll need some water, plus, you know, extra change of clothes for your inevitable poo explosion, even though you're eight, you know, like you just shove everything in there um, for the day bag, ready for the day. Um, the day bag is to facilitate your day. It isn't to define your day. So it's not like you, the eight-year-old goes, well, let's see what's in store for today. Opens up the bag and goes, interesting, a poo explosion is headed by, that was unanticipated. Uh, then, oh, and I'm going to a birthday party, and evidently we uh, have to go swimming, so therefore that's my day. Um, the day bag isn't to tell you about your day. The day bag is to facilitate your day. And the skills and giftings that God has given us are to facilitate the callings and the life that he has called us to. They're not to define it. So when our kids go, well, this is, this is who I am. I can't, I can't do this. I can do this. I'm looking at myself. They're just looking in their day bag. And that's not where they're supposed to look. They look at the father who's taking them for a walk. And the day bag helps them. And God will put the skills and giftings in that they need. Uh, when you have a three-year-old, the kid's like, that is a magic Mary Poppins bag. My kid's constantly walking up to me going, burrito? Uh, when he was three. And I'm like, no, there's not a burrito in that. But he sort of thought like if he wanted it, it was in the day bag. Because most everything else is in there. Uh, and uh, so it was this thing. That, you know, this sort of, you just, you know, when your kids are tiny, they, they're like, right, let's go. They just sort of walk out of the house. They're not going, do you have everything you need in the bag? Do you have the bag? Do you have everything you need in the bag? They're just like, let's go. The bag is coming. And uh, what would it be if our kids, if God said, I want, you, I want you to go to school and find the disabled friend, and I want you to make a friend of them, and instead of them going, I'm not doing that, I can't do that, they go, okay, well, let's see what's in the bag, and they go. That's what confidence is, is, is not worrying about what you see in yourself, but following what God's calling you to. So, how do we do this? Oh, I have a whole book on this. Um... Right. I'm trying to think of what skills you need most. I'm going to skip to the end because I feel like I want to give you this one and then we'll go back. Um, Specifically in encouraging because I think this is one of the pointy bits that we get because we're like, I want to encourage 
the children that I have, the young people that I have. So a girl walks in and instantly, what leaps out of our mouth? You look beautiful. Uh, and we, that's our thing because we want them to think they look beautiful. We want them to know that they're perfect just the way they are. And then they go, I disagree with you. I don't look like Angelina Jolie. And then we begin the label battle. And so the label battle is uh, us going, you're perfect, slap a label on you. And then the world goes, your lips are too small, slap a label on you. And we're like, no, your lips are perfect just the way they are. And in essence, we're debating whether or not and how perfect this person is and measuring them. So we're going, no, 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 it's okay. You may have some extra weight, but you're still pretty. First of all, extra, okay, fine. So then pretty is the goal. We're just trying to change the goalposts. I don't understand. And we just become this label competition. And then we get sad when we lose the label competition. And the goal is to switch the game from a label competition to enabling them to see their power. And so what we want to do is instead of we want to praise character instead of attributes. So, so if you th think about it, what do we actually want to see grow in the life of our children and young people? If you think about it, we want to grow kindness and gracefulness and goodness and courage and bravery and risk-taking and perseverance and resilience. We want, to, we, want, we want to grow all of those things because that's what sees them last. But we end up praising obedience and performance and what you look like. And a lot of this comes out of our mouth from our childhood. So I remember like anytime my child did something that I liked, I'd say, good boy. I'm like, yes, excellent, I approve. Uh, you have obeyed me blindly. Uh, and or um, whenever I, you would see a, a girl come towards you, you'd be like, don't you look beautiful? Because you're like, that's what you do. Um, if you take that one praise away and then think about a three-year-old girl coming towards you, what would you say? And often we just fall into habits. And so what we need to do is change in us what we praise and what we ask questions about. Because what we praise and ask questions about is what they will begin to measure themselves according to. We want them to measure themselves according to the character that lasts and what God is already growing in them. So be specific and praise things like bravery and perseverance. Um, when you see a kid who's running, stumbles and falls and gets up, there's the kid who wins the race. Woohoo! And then I look at that kid who persevered and I'm like, you are awesome. You are astonishing. I saw you. You fell and then you got up. And you know what? You did not give up. And I was like, no, he's going to give up. And then you kept running. And then you fell again. And I was like, oh, he's going to give up. And then you got up again. And you ran two falls. And you got up. And you didn't let that squish your heart at all. I'm like, amazed. And then they're like, mm-hmm, bit the dust twice. <laughs> that then takes the sting out of the loss. Because it's not about the loss. It's about the run. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, but you know what? I didn't let that squish me. Once I had an epic parent fail. Um, sorry, I'm telling more parent stories than I thought I would, but once I had an epic parent fail, uh, spelling test, kid, for summary of the whole last four months, didn't open the book bag. Who opens the book bag on the last day? Uh, I don't. And so, uh, you know, we're getting back, oh, where's everything closed? And, and we discover uh, he's going to have a test on Monday. And I was like, oh, buddy, my kid... Uh, my kid's dyslexic, so this was not going to go well. And so I was like, oh, buddy, 
you're gonna have a massive test tomorrow. And he's like, I did not prepare. I'm like, no, that was like totally on me, man. Um, it's gonna suck. I'm not gonna lie. You're gonna walk in. You are gonna walk in and probably not know any of those answers. He's like, okay. And so I was like, okay, change the game. So I was like, okay, so your goal is to go in, take this test, try your best, try to everything that you remember, you give your all. But the big thing is, can you get through without feeling despair in your heart or feeling ashamed? Can you do that? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, all right. Can you protect your heart in a way that you can walk in and be like, you know what? This isn't going to go well, but I'm not going to let despair conquer my heart. And he's like, okay, I'm going to try. So he goes in, and I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> bye. Good luck not having your heart crushed. Um, and then I uh, we bought some balloons. I'm like, okay, this is going to be it. We're going to do this thing. And so he comes out, and he's like, I didn't let despair overwhelm me. And I'm like, yes. Did you get any right? He's like, two out of 100. I'm like, Yes. <laughs> good effort man but we sat and we had a conversation he's like I almost did he said I looked around and I thought oh no I was, everyone's doing so much better than me and then I felt despair try to like start push my heart and then I was like no despair then sometimes mistakes just happen and so mistakes are just learning and I've learned to do this and so we've, we've talked about that and found their power and, and he came out triumphant from my total and epic bad parenting's fail uh, because we were focused on what was happening in his heart we're happy in the growth, and we praised that. So what are, do you want to see grow in the life of your young people and children? I want girls that know how to be courageous and risky. I want girls who know how to be warriors and to be brave and how to rescue people with their hearts and emotions. And this label thing, we want them to know that they're kind, so we say, you are kind. Instead, what's really helpful is to praise how that kindness affects somebody else. So instead of saying, you are so kind, say, that was such a kind thing to do. And do you see how that kindness affected somebody else? I love go- taking um, young people out and being like, uh, could you go, uh, so we'll have like s- some excellent milkshakes at Five Guys. And then I'll be like, oh, that person is like the best. Let's go tell that person that they're an amazing milkshake maker. And the kids are like, okay, let's do this. So we all come up. A bunch of 14-year-olds and me were like, you, you have brought me such internal joy from these milkshakes. And we just sit there praise this person's like, one person cried, and we're like, we were really forceful on this, sort of like, you have, look how happy I am. And we walked away, and I said, turn around, turn around, look. And we turned around and looked, and that person was crying. And those kids forever changed. They, they were like turned into encouragement monsters because they were like, look at the impact of one word can make on someone else. And it meant that they just loved stepping into encouragement. And it meant that whenever they felt nervous, they were like, you know what? I can be uncomfortable in any situation, but you know what I bring to this room? Encouragement. And when they exist in a room and they know what they bring, they bring kindness, they bring goodness, they know how to rescue the lost and lonely, they know how to be brave in this, then when they walk into a room, they're not going, I help people like me. They walk in going, who needs the fullness of me here? What do I bring into this room and what, what can I use to bring God into this place. And if nobody likes me, that's okay, because I'll go find some other one else who's lost and lonely and encourage them so much that they'll cry. Does that make sense? Praise what you want to see and be very specific about it. 
tell stories of, of what you love. When you, um, like I love when sometimes when there's a pastor and associate pastor, um, praise that guy, the, the associate. And be like, you know, it must be really hard to not be in charge all the time. But I love how he honors and respects that. I love that even though he's not in charge, he brings such grace to this. Praise what you want to see. Draw their attention to what you want them to notice. So that their confidence is grown on that. Yes? Are your brains okay? I'm concerned that they're exploding. Do you need a break? Okay. I'm going to give us 30 seconds of a stand-up break. And if you need to go outside and be like, breeze, and then come back in, I'll give you 30 seconds to just stretch in case your bums have fallen asleep. And then we'll go into the final two things that I want to talk about. All right. Sit back down. That was it. I'm serious. 30 seconds. I work with children and young people. I know how you'll take five. Sit down. Right. Okay. So... So how do we do this? Um, I'm, I'm going to try to stay away from specifics only because I want to give you skills. There are specifics in this book. Um, so this book goes into how to um, encourage for confidence, how to, go, how to help your kids with media and the world's messages, how to help them deal with comparison and contentment, how to deal with manliness and beauty, comparison and humility, failure, how to deal with friendships and peer pressure. All of that's in this. But I wanted to talk to you um, about sort of the skills we need in order to implement for all of those specific things. By the way, that book is in there, I think. Um, there are two different ways we shape children's confidence. One is in their hearts and one is in their minds. Hearts and minds. Um, that was very confusing. Um, we shape their hearts and we shape their minds. And sometimes what we try to do is do only one or the other. So we either try to make them feel better about themselves. We're like, talk to their heart. I love you. You know, you're wonderful. You're perfect. Or we try to talk to their brain and try to logic them into, um, well, cultural standards of beauty are different everywhere. And we try to deal with their minds. And we often don't know how to do both. And I just want to give you a skill in each of different ways you can begin to have those conversations because the best thing that you can do for confidence is to get involved in your children's hearts and minds and be able to coach them in that way because you can't argue it, but what we can do is shape how their heart and mind perceives. Uh, the first one is um, my husband and I did a very cheesy Christian thing uh, when we got married and we got a yucca trees. Uh, and I was like, we're going to keep these our whole lives and we'll plant them at our graves and people will be able to sit under the trees of our love and after about 30 30 days or something they started to like not feel right they were a bit squishy and uh, so we were thinking what is going on with these trees and after a couple of months they just fell over and uh, they were called Georgia Malachi I don't know why but they were and they fell over and what we found was that the roots were rotten they looked fine from the outside but something had rotted their roots and when it comes to confidence, there are so many things that get into the roots of our children and young people's hearts. And they sometimes can't even articulate it, but you see it's, it's sort of poisoning it. You're like, what is going on with you? And they get shy around things, and you're like, tell me the traumatic event that happened because it has to be traumatic because you're freaking out. And so you're trying to figure out there's something underneath this, and you're not quite sure how to get there to bring health to it. And I just want to give you a tool on how to get to the roots of what's going on in your children and young people's hearts. Um, when uh, my kid uh, was young, he, um, 
he had this really weird thing. He all of a sudden, he was four, and he all of a sudden didn't want to show me his wounds. Like he would get cut, and then he would hide them or wear long sleeve shirts. And me, having worked with children and young people for a long time, know that that's a sign of child protection issues. So I'm like, but I'm like, I know you got that cut. I watched you get that cut. Like I know that that was not a traumatic experience. And so I was very um, concerned. And um, what's happening? And um, and I began to have this conversation because it began to affect his confidence. He refused to wear shorts and T-shirts, began to hide his body. And I was like, this is turning into like a thing. And uh, I'm not quite sure. And, I, and, and this is just an example of sort of the steps that I find. What is so useful for our children is to ask curious questions. And children can sniff agenda a mile away, particularly teenagers. They have finally honed senses at that point like spidey senses of of an agenda if you even like pause slightly they're like you're headed for something and i reject that uh and so our children have that because often what we do is we only dig when we want to do something and creating a culture of curious questions is really useful because what we do is we begin to ask questions not because i want to get to the bottom of it because i just want to understand you better and so I can be like, well, I see you you hiding your thing from me. Why are you hiding your thing from me? Oh, just because I want to. Oh, interesting. Help me understand. I want to understand more because that's new. Oh, I just I just want to know. Okay. And I just leave it. Um, or, hey, you know, your friend at school is uh, is doing that thing, right? The thing. And does that make you feel stressed or not stressed? I'm just interested. And they go, it does make me feel stressed. And you're like, oh, I'll make me feel stressed too. And then you just leave it. And they're like, okay. And, and the more you can just begin to ask questions, how are you feeling about that? Tell me more about this. So uh, the amount of times I've been trapped in a car with a teenager and be like, hey, I remember three weeks ago you were mentioning about how um, your um, friend was really mean to you. I would love to hear more about that. Tell me more about that. And they're like, I don't want to tell you. I just want to hear about it. Just tell me about it. And so they'll tell me about it. And I'm like, wow, that sucks. Just leave it. Because the more we can get them used to knowing that we're just seeking to understand them, the more we have access to their heart. And the more they get used to talking, because actually that is one of the most powerful things, is to be able to talk about stuff when we just ask curious questions. There are lots of curious questions that you can ask. And, um, oops, sorry, throwing things. So uh, I'm lazy and I'm just going to look at them. Uh, So you can do things like, tell me more about blank. Uh, that sounds interesting. Uh, what would happen if... So there's so many times that um, our um, young people and children go, oh, oh, if I do this, then everyone will laugh at me. And we go, uh uh-huh. We just leave it there. But ask a curious question, which is the next. And what would happen if they did laugh at you? Then the answer is, I don't know. Well, how do you think you would feel? And then we just ask those questions because so often we just take the first answer and then leave it. But ask the next curious question. What would happen if that happened? Um, this happens so many times with children in nightmares. Um, I had a you know, nightmare. There's a ghost. There's a ghost coming to attack me and the ghosts are coming to get me. Oh, and then what would happen? Uh, then they would be at my bed. And then what would happen? Uh, they'd just stand there. Oh, then, then what would you do? Uh, I'd get bored. Yeah, okay. <laughs> then what would happen? Uh, I'd probably go to sleep. Okay, well, how do you feel now? I'm okay, actually. Uh, just ask the questions. Ask the curious questions. Find out what's in their heart. Um, 
often some people don't know what they're feeling, so does it feel more like this or this? Um, okay, it looks like it's escalating. Does it feel more like there's like a raging fire inside of you that you're not quite sure what to do with? Or does it feel more like you're angry and want to tip something over? Uh, whatever it is, give them options because sometimes they just don't know what that is. Are you more frustrated or angry? Um, and that helped get some talking. Um, what are you afraid might happen? How did that make you feel? You seem to be feeling this. Am I right? Because um, even if you're way wrong, they're like, no, I'm not feeling that. I'm feeling this. And you're like, okay, that helps me. Um, what happened to make you feel that way? When did it start? Um, sometimes kids want to know whether or not they're going to be disciplined for it. I'm like, well, we'll talk that, about that later. What happens next is totally different. I just want to understand you. And the more we can do that, we can dig, dig, dig to the bottom of their heart. Um, for me... Um, for me, I started asking my kid, um, what's going on with you? Like, you know, what's going on with your pictures, um, with, with your cuts? And he said, well, I don't, I don't want to show it to you. And I'm like, well, I, I don't mind seeing that. And he goes, well, I don't want you to feel bad. And I was like, you don't want me to feel bad? Okay, tell me why I would feel bad. And he said, well, because it would hurt you. I was like, it would hurt, it would hurt me to see your owies. He's like, yeah, because you go, oh. It's like, oh, I saw that noise. <laughs> Oh, no. I was like, oh. And, and instantly, I thought I had gotten to the bottom of it, so I thought I was going to shut it down. So I wanted to say, oh, no, it doesn't hurt me at all. And, you know, fine. Ha-ha, stupid child. And you sort of move on, um, which, is, which, which is so easy to do. We think we get to the bottom of it. And there was something in me that just wanted to say, that is not the bottom of it. That is not the bottom of it. So I said, oh, <laughs> what would happen if I was hurt? And... Um, the little lip started to go, and he goes, you, you would be disappointed. And I was like, well, I've never used that word in our relationship at all. But there was something in him that thought that if I saw his hurt, I would be disappointed in him. And so he started to cry, and instant, everything in me wanted to like rush in and fix it. And I kept thinking, no, I'm going to stick to these questions. And so I asked the next question, which was, and if I was, disappointment, if I was disappointed, what would happen then? And he, sobbing, sobbing, said, you would throw me away. And I thought, yep, something broke last week, and we threw it away. And something in his head just connected to that, that you throw away broken things. And he was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing at the bottom of it. And curious questions got me there to my kid who was behaving in a way that was showing me he had body image issues. Actually, there was a root that was so deep and fearful that I had to get to just by asking questions that were curious. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you respond with empathy and truth. Whether you get down to, whether it is um, a deep fear of, um, for, for a lot of my um, teenage girls, some of it was if they're not attractive, then no one will ever want them. And if no one will ever want them, then they will be valueless. And you get down to that thing and you're like, okay, now I know. And then you give empathy, whether it's a silly thing or a deeply powerful thing to say, I understand if you feel that way, how scary that must be. Um, because that is scary. That is a, scary. To just dismiss it means that you're not hearing them. To say, that is if that is what's going on in your head, then that is so deeply worrying, and I understand that. And then we speak truth. And the truth doesn't mean it's the opposite. The truth means it's God's truth. Um, with my kid, I said, look in my eyes. There's nothing that you can do to make, you to make me throw you away. 
ever because there's nothing that God can do. That, there's nothing that I can do that can make God throw me away. His love is so powerful for me, and my love is so powerful for you, and there is nothing that you could do. Do I love you when you throw things? And he's like, no. I'm like, okay, we've got a lot of work to do. Uh, yes, I love you when you throw things. Do I love you when you're kind? Yes. Do I love you when you yell at me? Yes, yes I do. And I went through list by list by list and he just kept crying as I asked him questions. There's so many times when we get to the bottom of our children's fear that we just want to say, that's not true, and we slap a label on it. And actually we say, that must be so hard to feel valueless. Are you valueless? And we have that conversation because our value is beyond words, not just to God, but to me. Do you understand how powerful you are in my life? Do you understand how powerful you are in your friends' lives? Do you understand how powerful you are to God? You have such value, and you can see that in the life of everyone around you. The truth, the real God truth is what we speak. Not just, no, you are beautiful and perfect, and someone will love you. Um, It's getting to that truth and speaking into that. Then we connect them to God and us. Um, for my kid, I spoke him, I then gave him a hug, and I was like, oh, God, thank you that you, there's nothing that we can do to throw you away. Thank you, God, come give us a hug right now. And we offer that connection with God, because in our deepest pain, if we can get our kids and our young people to know that in the deepest bit of their uncomfortability, they connect with God, that's where they're going to learn healing and truth. And then the last thing we do is we help them be powerful for the next time. And often we just sort of patch them up. Good job. Woo! Good talk. Good talk. Good talk. Me head away. And actually, next time you feel this, what are you going to do so that we don't end up in this pit again? Because I don't want you to feel this. How can we help you be powerful for the next time you feel that fear for the next time? And so with lots of young people, we've done texting things to be like, the thing is back. And then I'm like, name me six people that you are powerful and significant in the life of. And they're like this. Um, or for my four-year-old, it was next time I get a cut, I'm going to show you. Which does mean for the next year and a half, he'd be like, way! And then sort of walk away with any blood, which was interesting and needed a lot of explanation in public. Um, whatever it is, helping them be, feel powerful for the next time means that, that we've addressed an issue, we identify a line, we know how to move forward. Does that make sense? That's how to do their heart. Their mind is a different thing, and it's in the book. I don't have time to talk to you about it. Um, I'm sorry it feels incomplete, and I couldn't give you everything that I wanted to give you, but what I do want to give you is this. You have total and complete influence in the life of your children and young people. You are powerful in their lives. You can walk with them on their journey. It's, it's nothing where we're never going to be able to convent, prevent a crisis of confidence, but what we are is the companion of their lives that speak truth, that journey along with them, and that can coach them through so that they can constantly be turned to confidence and learn those skills for themselves. What you are going to do in the life of your children and young people that you influence is significant. And God is already ahead of you. He's already speaking into their lives and he will whisper to you what they need as you partner with him. So may I pray with you? God, I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for the young people and children that are represented here. And God, I thank you that you have called us to a life of confidence, a life of freedom, where we know that you are awesome and holy and love us totally. That we know that we are daily being shaped into being more like you and we're not finished yet. And that you invite us to be a small part of your great plans on this earth. I pray that you would give these people wisdom and strength. That they may impart those truths to the young people and children they serve. 
that you would give them influence and grace in the lives of them, that they may coach them into clear-eyed confidence, that they may face this messy world resonating with your confidence and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Rachel. I hope you're all going out feeling equipped, enabled, and enthused um, for the real privilege that you have as parents. Could I encourage you all to take a few minutes just to take time to fill it in and give it to myself or the stewards at the back? And if some of those issues raised today have stirred in something in your heart that you would like some prayer, kindly Sharon is here from the counselling team. If you just want to make your way to the front, um, she'll be more than happy to pray with you about anything, whether it's about yourself or your children. Of course you can. I ended one minute early so I can say this one last thing. Uh, you don't have to be sorted in confidence to help your kids with this, by the way. Um, this is often something we feel. We're like, I'm not totally confident, and so therefore I can't help my kids. That is absolutely not true. It's one of the best things ever. Because you can say, I'm having a freak out of confidence. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. All right. Help me. Come on, come on. God, I'm awesome and holy. He loves me totally. And you walking your crisis of confidence with them means that they see how to do it. Because you're not going, I'm perfect, amazing, good luck with your difficulties. You're saying, we're all on this journey. We're all on this journey. And I'm learning new things and you're learning new things. And this is something I need together. Can you tell me one way that I influence you for the good? Can you tell me things? And let's learn a new way of encouraging each other because I want to be stronger. And so doing that side by side, journeying alongside is is so powerful. So um, that is essential. Okay. Thanks.